You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I'm joined, as always, by Gene Henley. We welcome you in to another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If this is your first time here, thank you so much. We really appreciate you tuning in and, and giving the show a shot. Hopefully, you'll come back for more. If this isn't your first time here, welcome back. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, Podbean's the main site that hosts us. We're also on TuneIn and all these Stitcher and all these other places. So if you have a podcast app, you can find us there. Just search for Vol Basketball Fever on that app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Gene, before we get into some, I guess, lighter notes and, 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 and whatnot here to talk about both the Vols and Lady Vols, I do want to start off with you know unfortunate, sad news here that came out over the weekend. A, a former Vol player, Major Wingate, passed away at the age of, I think, 37, 36, 37, somewhere in the, the you know, mid to late 30s. We'll look up his exact age here in just a second. But Major Wingate, who you and I were talking before I hit record here, Gene, I, he, he played on those teams that were formative in my years of growing up watching basketball and, and, and me becoming really invested in basketball. That, that 02 to 05 stretch is when he played for Tennessee the, the last couple of years of Buzz Peterson and the first year of Bruce Pearl. I remember him playing with guys like Brandon Crump and, and CJ Lofton, Lofton CJ Watson, or excuse me, Chris Lofton, CJ Watson, Andre Patterson, Stanley Assumnu, um, all those guys, I think Dane Bradshaw too. You know, I, I remember him playing along with those guys. Um, Jimmy Hendrix too is a guy for some reason that I remember him playing along with too. But I, I remember watching Major Wingate play um, a lot as a kid, and and being a fan of his as a as a, you know, as a player. Him wearing the number one, him being a, I think a captain um, as well at one point. Uh, I think probably his, his last year there, but I'm pretty sure he was a captain for the Vols. And Gene, I was talking with you before you record because you knew a lot of guys from that era, and you were saying that you you know you knew him. You weren't like close to him or anything like that, but you knew you know you had connected with him a couple of times, but. I just wanted to bring up, and you know, we can talk about it just for a little bit. Major Wingate's passing because it's sad, man. It unexpected, and he's the second Vol from that that kind of era to pass away recently. On the football side of things, you had Paris Harrelson pass away uh, just a few few weeks ago, and they played. They were both on campus at the same time. And Paris played, I think, what 2004 and five around that era. So like these guys were on campus at the same time. Now both passed away you know, unexpectedly in their in their mid to late thirties. It's just sad man like it, it it's just i hate it. it it's it's a guy like i said i grew up watching have very vivid memories of his team of those teams and of, of him playing basketball and it's just it's heartbreaking to think that he's gone and i i really hope you know that his family can find some sort of peace and 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 anything through this but yeah man i i i don't have i don't think i have like a specific memory of major wingate like doing anything specific but i i know i watched his teams i know i watched him and those teams play especially you know that that first year of bruce but man i i know this this one had to be a gut punch to a lot of all fans because it, it's a guy who was in a, a a very prominent kind of transitional period for the men's basketball program back in the early mid-2000s yeah, I mean, like the transitional period where, you know, I mean, I, I know Tennessee's had a lot of highs and lows over the past you know, 25 years or so. I mean, Jerry Green to, you know, the end of Jerry Green wasn't great, and that led to Bud, Buzz Peterson, and went to Bruce Pearl and Conzo, but, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, ebbs and flows and, you know, ups and downs and highs and lows. And uh, a major was part of the, you know, the one of those. You know, upswings. I guess towards. I mean, his career was essentially um, that one of those upswings where they start. You know, they weren't great early on. I, mean, I know he only played there for three years, but that last year was a pretty good year and uh, good year for him. Um, you know, Todd. Uh, you know, five block shots against Wichita State in the NCAA tournament, which I think Todd's school record that may still um, be a record. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest with you, but um, but this is I mean this is about more than basketball. I mean it's right. about guy and uh, you know and it, it, it's so unfortunate and obviously it, it's a time where 
a lot of people are, are, are losing loved ones um, for any myriad of reasons, any number of reasons. And uh, so it, it's, it, it's, it was sad. I mean, when I heard it, uh, like I said, I think like you said at the, you know, in the intro, um, <clears throat> I knew of Major more and vice versa more than we actually knew each other. I think we may have uh, been in the same place once or twice, but uh, um, but again, like it, it was, you know, it was kind of shocking when I heard the news on Saturday. I think, like I said, it was Saturday morning. Kind of shocking when I heard it. Uh, surprising because it's not a name that I thought about. And I hate that this is the way that he came back into my to my memory. Uh, so um, definitely, um, well wishes to the family, prayers and well wishes uh, that they can you know move on. I think he has a couple uh, young kids as well. Uh, he had you know, and uh, certainly uh, you know take some time to you know to think of those you know think of those. Um, that he's left behind. He he was born in South Carolina. He ended up transferring to um, North Gwinnett, which is or played played for North Gwinnett, excuse me, in Suwannee, Georgia, for a senior year there. And that's obviously where he came to Tennessee. Was from North Gwinnett. He didn't get drafted into the NBA, but he did have a, a decently, like I think, a four or five season long playing career overseas. Um, played in Greece and Turkey, China, France, Romania. Uh, so he, he played overseas in a lot of places. He's a member of the National Honor Society. So, I mean, you know, smart kid coming out of high school and stuff, too. He was about to turn 38, basically. His birthday was November 10th, so, you know, 37 when he passed away. Um, so, the, yeah, again, like you said, just time for reflection. And, again, hope his family, you know, can find some peace from somewhere. And, and obviously, you know, prayers and thoughts are going out to his family and, and anyone affected friends anybody who's affected by his passing um you know who knew him personally and where he was <clears> involved <throat> in their lives on that note though you know trying to move on to some kind of more positive news to to kind of move away from obviously the sad news and major wingate's passing look at the fact that basketball front gene we do have some good news both the men's and women's teams at tennessee Vols and Lady Vols have started practice. The Vols, the men's team started. I want to say it was a week, two weeks ago, maybe. I don't remember now. It's been. It's they they started before the Lady Vols did, but Lady Vols started uh, just a few days ago as well. So now both teams are out on the practice court, uh, going out there and getting ready for the season. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, October fifth, so we're almost exactly a full month away. Just a full month away from the start of the season. So we're going to have a, a, you know, a full month here of preseason work, you know, getting things kind of settled in, trying to get a, a starting rotation figured out for the first, you know, first few games, trying to get a rotation figured out just in general of, Hey, we're, we'll, you know, who's going to be our eight or nine guys here to get, we're going to try to really get more minutes for the season, beginning of the season. Can we keep that kind of consistent eight to nine guys in, throughout the year? On the all side, same thing. Can we, can we find some role players to fit some of these roles here? Can we find a replacement for, Renai Davis is that Ray Burrell, and if it is, who's going to you know fill Ray Burrell's shoes from last year too, and, and her role that she had. So, a lot of, of questions to kind of figure out here um, in the preseason. But I think you know hopes are high for both teams for both programs heading into this 21-22 season. We already did our kind of roster review last episode, which a lot of you really listened to, and, and just look at the numbers from both of those. Really want to say thank you all so much. Uh, those are uh, two of our most listened to episodes especially Lady Vols one, actually by far our, our most listened to episode we've had so far. So that's fantastic. Thank you all so much for that. But even the men's team too, like th that was one of the most listened to episodes we've had. So obviously a, a, you know, wanting to get you all caught up on the off season. If you missed any information, if you were <laughs> for the men's side, especially if you missed any of the comings and goings with the roster there, we want to keep you updated on that. And for Lady Vols, you know, wasn't as much movement, but still a decent amount of movement. We want to recap and, and kind of give our thoughts before the preseason began on both rosters. So if you haven't checked those out, go back and listen to them. They were technically a two-parter episodes. Gina recorded uh, those episodes all in one sitting. Didn't intend for it to be split up in two episodes, but we talked for like almost two hours. So split it up into two different episodes. But Gene, to get those rosters, we'll have some recruiting updates here in a minute too, but I want to kind of talk about the teams that are practicing now. Early reports are indicating, you know, again, we're very early into practices and stuff right now. You know, I wouldn't expect 
you know, aside from maybe Kennedy Chandler, I wouldn't expect any of the freshmen necessarily to be, you know, penciled in as starters or anything like that right now. But it is looking like early, early here in preseason, Olivier Camois is being penciled in as a guy who, you know, is projected to be the, the starting four for Tennessee at the beginning of the season. And you and I, Gina, talked a little bit ago, uh, probably a month ago or so, I, I would have to say, about Olivier Camois and can he finally have that breakout year this year? It, Tennessee needs somebody to step up there. We have John Fulkerson, who we know if he's healthy, what he can do. But who steps up in the post alongside him? Does, is it a newcomer like uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield? Or is it going to be someone who's been here before, like Uroche or Kamwa, who finally steps into a starting role or, or, or a more significant role there and plays more minutes and is more productive? And, and Gene, it looks like, I, you know, it's very early, but it seems like Kamwa is getting some, I wouldn't say, I don't know about high praise, but he had a good summer. He, he was one of the many players who played internationally in this Olympic summer for Tennessee. He had a good showing there. It's to me, it's very, very good news if Kamwa is a starter for Tennessee and plays like starter-esque minutes at the four for them. Because that, that, to me, that's not a knock on Brandon Huntley Hatfield. That's finally showing that, to me at least, that Kamwa is coming into his own. Because I think Huntley Hatfield, if he <clears> didn't have Kamwa there, I think he would be starting and I think he would be productive. But I think it's obviously nice that you don't have to start a freshman. My point is, it's, I think it's more of a uh, positive for Kamwa than a slight on, on Huntley Hatfield if Kamwa starts. But I, I, I think it's interesting to see that if you make it three years into Rick Martin's program at Tennessee, usually you're due, you will have some sort of breakout campaign or you will flame out and transfer. Like that, that seems to be what's happened. You, you know, it's not really like a mediocre season. You either have minimal effort or using minimal playing time minimal impact and you're gone or you have your breakout campaign in your third year and you're ready to be a, a productive player so hopefully for Tennessee's sake it's a it's that you know the breakout thing but I, I think Kamwa to me is a a big it wouldn't say x factor necessarily but he, he to me is a, is a big key to what contenders you know that I guess that that four spot because I think you know Ferguson I guess plays a four more naturally, but he he will play the five at Tennessee because of just kind of the roster is set up. Uh, I would say I would say probably he played more of the five if you have Huntley Hatfield or Camel out there. They're not fives, so that, you know Ferguson will play more of that five role if they're having two posts like that. But Gene, give your thoughts on. I've, I feel like I've kind of talked a ton here, um, but I think it's obviously like I said, good news if if Camel is the starter for Tennessee at the beginning of the year at that four spot. Yeah, I, I think what we all forget is that we don't necessarily know. Um, what Olivier is when he's not playing with his back to the basket. The kid that Tennessee recruited um, never played with his back to the basket. He he had that was something he had to learn. And having spent you know two years you know playing that way, playing that style, playing more of a post up style. Um, that actually could ultimately, if this is more of a bigger, you know, long-term play for Tennessee, um, that has every ability to make him better. Um, because now he has some level of a post-up game to go along with what he, you know, which something he feels more natural as playing a little more out in the perimeter. And I get it. I know watching him sometimes he seems scared. I think he's a what I saw was a kid who was very thoughtful and I think was, you know, there was so much process, like there's so much information overload going on with him that I felt like he was just thinking a lot. And, you know, instead of just going out there and playing. And um, so, I, I mean, I still go back to, I think it was the Eastern New Mexico State game. It's very first, that exhibition game back at the beginning of the 2019-20 season. Uh, I saw that kid drop to the basket and flip a ball over his head at Jordan Bowden for a three. I mean, it was just an instinctual, just flip over his head. It was like a no-look pass to a wide-open Jordan Bowden, who you know, bang, you know, knocks down a three at the top of the key. And there's some things that are just more instinctual. And that's when I became a fan of what he could do. Uh, because you're, you're watching a kid who is learning a lot of this stuff and and again who knows maybe like i said this was maybe this was the ultimate play maybe this was the ultimate plan and uh, i i harken back this this is completely different a little bit off the subject but 
it, it reminds me if all of this goes as it sounds like it may go. And I understand they, you know, Tennessee doesn't usually Barnes doesn't usually go out there um, with these with these freshmen and, and put them in the starting lineup right away. I get that. Um, Josiah didn't start. Uh, he well, he started the very first game, but he didn't start. I believe the exhibition game against Eastern New Mexico. Um, I'm looking right now. No, he didn't. Jalen Johnson actually started that game. But um, <clears throat> what I what I what that reminds me of, if this situation is 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 accurate with Com uh, with Olivier, it, it reminds me of um, how John Collar John Calipari, what he did with Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Because people didn't realize until that kid got to the NBA, where I think it was actually in the uh, section of the NCAA tournament, he started knocking down some shots, and people were like, "Where did he have? Where did he get that from?" I'm like, no, he always had it. I just told him not to use it because this is a different part of his game we're trying to develop, and that could be the case with Tennessee. Um, we also have to take consideration that I understand how he looked last year. Last year was a rough year for kids who need to be developed. Mm-hmm. Last offseason was a rough year for kids who needed to be developed. And that's what Olivier was. And, like, there aren't a lot of kids who came back for, like, a sophomore or junior year who had some skills that needed to kind of be groomed some who looked good. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think... Uh, you know, and I think that. Sorry, I got a text and I kind of <laughs> fell off. Lost my train. Of, my boss was texting me. I kind of lost my train of thought for a second. But, but no, I, I think that you've got a kid like Olivier who, I do think his freshman year really struggled with confidence a lot. You could see it at times. He had he had one skill that he was pretty good at, and that's rebounding. The rest of it, no, he didn't really want the ball in his hands unless he was throwing it to somebody else. Um, off a rebound and and like that he has some more skills that were that are available so you know and I think he didn't get a chance to really build on that development build on that confidence last year so if he has I mean look I, I understand Tennessee fans and people across the country they're in ever with star rankings this kid was I'm pretty sure like a four star mm-hmm. and that was a late push too. I mean, it wasn't like he was just always a four star. That kid, when people had a chance to really evaluate him once he committed to Tennessee, I'm pretty sure got bumped up to a four star because they evaluated him. Then they saw him because I know he was hurt like his junior or maybe senior year of high school. Yep. He didn't have a chance to really go out there and play and show what he was capable of on an AAU circuit. So then all of a sudden people are like, oh man, Tennessee's on this kid. Tennessee versus Maryland. He chooses Tennessee. People, you know, evaluate his game. They evaluate his talent, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, oh, okay. So, this kid's a talented player as well. I understand, like you've got Huntley Hatfield. You, I understand Jonas Adu. I understand all of that stuff. I understand all the star rankings, but for this team to reach whatever potential it has this year. They're going to have to develop more options aside from John Fulkerson, regardless. Because, in my opinion, they don't have a single player that has proven a thing in Tennessee, I mean, in college, other than Fulkerson. You know, Kamala's had some moments, Eurosh has had a couple moments, but then you're talking about those three, those two guys, and then you're t- talking about two true freshmen that if you look, if you read scouting reports on them, one of the first thing you, things you read are raw. I was I was glancing at some of this stuff today. I actually did some research for the first time for a podcast. Whoa, whoa! Uh, you know uh, there was the raw needs fit needs to build physical strength. You know, you know high motor. I mean, some of those things with Tomba and and Adu and like these are guys that you may have to rely on. And I'm reading about kids who are six eleven, two twenty five. That ain't going to cut it. <laughs> like, from a physical standpoint, that's not going to cut it. In that league, for eight for 18 league games, with that non-conference schedule on top of it, you don't want to have to, especially, again, like you got a kid like a dude who is still trying to figure some stuff out. Um, 
I do. I, I think when I watched him, yeah, there's maybe a skill set that I haven't seen yet. But everything I saw from him was he liked to spend a lot of time on the perimeter. A lot of highlights of him shooting threes and jump shots. And you're 6'11", kid. You're 6'11". There's a good chance you're going to be down there throwing elbows and banging bodies. If not, more power to you, Tennessee's got yet another stretch four to go along with what you project Huntley Hatfield to be, what you project what Olivier could be turning into. Now you've got a whole bunch of stretch fours and John Fulkerson in the paint. <laughs> Good luck with that. You still haven't addressed it. So um, I think I'm, I, I think this is a good development. And I think we had talked about this in the past where, you know, you've got, but when we talked about it, we talked about if Huntley Hatfield didn't, you know, if he didn't, you know, do things right or whatever. I think there was maybe some rumbling of a report a few months back um, that you know if he did if he wasn't acting right, he didn't do anything right. Then we, you know we had Pilsen and Josiah, mm-hmm. but this this could be new. I mean, if, if, what if Olivier has a skill set that we haven't seen? Um, and I do think he has from the, what little I had a chance to really when I watched some some film of him before, you know, when he first signed and uh, then watching him a little bit in practice that year, I saw a kid who was playing inside, but was not an inside player. And if he has, if he gets an opportunity to go out there and has really developed that outside skill set, then people, people could be looking at a special sort of talent. I don't think I've mentioned this on this podcast, but I, I remember when he committed and signed with Tennessee, I spoke to his um, high school coach because he he came and played one year, maybe a year and a half um, in the United States from Finland. Like you said, he got he got hurt that yeah. summer going into his senior year, which, you know, you have a kid who's who's going through the recruitment process now, Gene. That, that summer between junior and senior year is huge for recruitment and he was hurt during it and couldn't do anything in the summer to show off, you know, his skills during that summer. So he, he didn't get recruited until very late into his senior year. At that point you had Tennessee and I don't remember the schools now. I think it was Pitt and I don't, there were other like three or four other high major schools who were coming after him because he'd had a, a solid end to his senior year and was coming on strong. But I remember talking to his high school coach at the time and he said, you know, he's not been playing basketball super long. And as you said, you, he mentioned the fact that he's, you know, he's going to need time to develop and stuff. But he said, uh, told told me then, I remember writing it in an article for Rocket Top Insider at the time. He's like, you're going to think I'm crazy, and I don't, I don't want to put these expectations on him because I don't think he's ready to go in and be this right now. He's like, but I, he, I look at him as kind of a, a a somewhat similar version of a Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I was like, interesting. Why is that? He's like, you look at Giannis when he came up. He was a developmental guy who obviously, you know, he was, and he's right. I'm, I'm looking it up now to look it up because I was curious too what his trajectory was. I mean, he's a guy who played in Greece um, for the senior men's team. I cannot pronounce it. I'm not going to try. But for the semi-pro Greek uh, B basketball league. Um, and he, he was fine. Like, he, he averaged 22 and a half minutes per game in 26 games. He averaged nine and a half points, five boards, uh, basically an assist and a half and a block per game uh, over there. And then he ended up being a special participant in the Greek League All-Star game. Wasn't actually selected as an All-Star, but the coaches let him play in the game as a treat for the fans, apparently. Drafted number 15 overall. You know, had not a bad year. Uh, was a extremely young player. Was one of the youngest NBA players ever when he made his debut uh, with, with the Bucks. But he, you know, people think of Giannis now as what he is now. And they, I think a lot of people forget he needed to grow into that. He came into the league played in 77 games in the NBA, averaged under seven points, under four and a half rebounds a game, under two assists per game. The next year had a nice, you know, nice year, improved on that, um, almost 13 points a game, six and a half boards, two and a half assists, uh, a block per game. And then you fast forward a couple more years and he's having that, that, you know, 23 points per game. And then he ends up winning the MVP a few more, you know, a few years later, like, people forget he was a guy who didn't he didn't just come in and instantly like LeBron James he didn't come in and instantly catch fire and and you know catch all these headlines and everything like that he needed time to develop and it, it took him three or four years when he finally did develop he became a star he became an all-star um in the NBA level I don't think Campbell has 
the quite same freakish athleticism that Giannis does or quite the same type of, of, of game as Giannis. But I think if even if he's like a poor man's Giannis where he needed time to develop into that, I think you're right, Jamie. I mean, we, he's, that was what everyone was saying coming out of it. He was a guy who was a developmental guy who had a really good skill set, and you could see the raw talent there. He just needed time to come into his own, basically. And him and Giannis are built similar. Giannis, 6'11", 242. Um, what is exactly... Let me look up his... Look at the roster, but I think Cam Walls... He's 6'11", but I don't remember what exactly his weight is. He is... Cam Walls, 6'8", oh, six, excuse me, 6'8", 232. So, you know, close enough. They're they're similar, similar-ish builds. Again, I'm not expecting Cam Walls to ever be a Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, like, that was what his coach said. He's like, I don't want to put those expectations on him at all. But just from looking at what he needs to do developmentally and kind of how he styles his game, that's who he reminds me of in a way. And I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. I'll, I'll look forward to see what he can do in a couple of years. And now here we are, you know, three years later, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do if, if he's if he's fully healthy and if, if like you said, he finally had time to develop. Because like you said just a little bit ago, and like we said, I think last podcast or two ago, last year was bad for those teams and for those players who needed development and those teams that were young. It was great for the teams that were older. Like you said, um, when we were previewing the men's roster, if the Tennessee team from a couple years ago that had Grant Admiral, Kyle Alexander, Jordan Bone, Lamonte Turner, if that team had been around, you know, if they'd been playing last year, that's a Elite Eight, Final Four type team. Like that's a team that makes a deeper run because that's an extremely experienced group that has talent and has bonded, and they didn't need a year, you know, that season necessarily to develop more and develop more chemistry that chemistry was already built in that team last year for Tennessee needed some more chemistry this team this year needs chemistry but not I don't think to the same extent as last year's team did necessarily but it's a long way of getting back around to talking about Campbell and saying that I think I'll be interested it would not shock me at all if he is starting for Tennessee and it also wouldn't shock me at all if he isn't starting for Tennessee by the time the season's you know in February March you know if Huntley Hatfield or or someone else comes along and takes a spot or if Tennessee goes more of a kind of a four-yard lineup and has Josiah as the as the big of that group you have Fulkerson, Josiah, Justin Powell, Kennedy Chandler and then Viscovia or Bailey there at the two like it Tennessee has so many different options I think that could work for a rotation for a quote-unquote starting five or a, a you know a five you want at the end of the game like to me there's just there's a lot of possibilities for this roster um and, and just kind of the makeup it can go in any given game you, you, they can if, if they trust the bigs they can play kind of big if they trust if they are playing more small ball Tennessee has the roster to play more a, a very guard heavy lineup so I'll be intrigued to see. It looks like the early early returns on Sakai Zeal are also big. Rick Barnes had a lot of glowing praise to say about him, um, his immediate availability recently. Again, I'm not expecting Ziegler to um, play a whole lot early, Gene, but he is doing exactly what you said he would. And I knew you were right, but he's doing exactly what you said he would, and Rick Barnes has talked about it. He's pushing the crap out of Kennedy Chandler in practice. He is he's, <laughs> he's giving him all he wants. Apparently, Zie- Ziegler's uh, attitude and his his tenacity is unmatched. So he's doing exactly what you said he would, Gene. Yeah, um, it, it's it's just it's the mentality, mm-hmm. and and I think it's some of that same stuff is why you have like you you see what you're seeing, you know, with the Olivier. Huntley Hatfield deal. Um, those two can put. Those two are kind of similar body types. They can push push each other, and competition is what you have to have, man. Like, I don't think people understand that when you're when your role is secure in life, when your role is secure on a on, on a team wherever. Like, there aren't that many Kobe Bryant's out there that are or, or Michael Jordans. Or, or Le- even LeBron James that are just so self-motivated that it doesn't even matter that there's no equal like on their team. Uh, there aren't those many people out there. And like the ability to have guys that can push you every single day in practice to bring out the best version of you. Um, you know, that's why you hear so many guys say, I mean, the way we practice games are easy. Like your best teams we're always saying some form of the way we practice. I mean, what's what's more difficult? Like mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, like you, like that twenty, the thirty-one win team. Mm-hmm. That team didn't have that. 
like that was there was a lot of self motivation in that off season before it was all well documented. They all talked, they all spoke about it. That was their competition. That's what it was. And I can imagine probable pickup games or whatever, where you've got Admiral and Grant guarding each other because that's similar. That's, you know, there's a mentality there, you know, where Lamonte and Jordan bone can kind of push each other. But you have to have that at so many places because, you know, I know they, you know, the, the, the saying is iron sharpens iron. And so I'm not the least bit surprised uh, that a kid from New York who you're going to have to show him that he's not the starting point guard of this Tennessee team. Um, you know, it's no surprise to me that he's playing, that, that he's playing the way he has. That's it's what I expected from the moment I heard that, you know, that you told me about this kid. And I looked him up and I said, Oh, he's from New York. Oh, he'll be fine. Now, whether or not he's good enough, it's a different story. But again, same thing, you know, we mentioned Devontae Gaines. That's what he was. Whether he was good enough, that's a different story. But you're not going to convince him. You're going to have to show him that he is not. You're not going to just say it that just because, well, you know, you didn't have that many stars. So you're not as good as that guy over there. Okay, prove it. Prove it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not the least bit surprised uh, that that's been the case. I didn't know that, but uh, I'm not the least bit surprised because it's just my expectation from guys from up there. Yeah, here, here are some actual quotes um, <clears throat> from Rick Barnes talking about um, Zakai Ziegler from his media availability last week. Quote, he's been as impressive as anyone I've ever seen. Santi walked in and had to play Zakai, what he's been able to do in such a short period of time coming in. You wouldn't think that he'd missed that much during the summer. He's quick, he's fast, he's elusive, and he's still learning the system too. But he has been good. I think he, Kennedy, and Santi, or Santi, excuse me, they've just been good for all, it's, it's just been good for all three of those guys because they've been getting their share at the point. Santi has a little more pace with it, but both those guys, talking about the freshmen, bring a speed and quickness to us we haven't had in a couple years. That, that stood out to me too, that, you know, we've talked before that for all Santiago Vescovi's, you know, the good things he has, the good qualities he has, he's not gifted with the speed and the, the athleticism of a Jordan Bone. But Kennedy Chandler and Zakai Ziegler are. Like, those guys are quick and they can move a lot faster. I think that is that, that was something that really stood out to me what Rick Barnes said was that those two guys bring that kind of speed and quickness to the point guard position that Tennessee hasn't had to me easily since Jordan Bone. And that that that's also really nice to hear. I think I'm trying to pull up another quote here um, from Barnes on Ziegler. I think, yeah, here from Grant Ramey on 247 um, mentioned, said that he thinks the fans are going to love Zakai Ziegler, which, again, I'm not expecting them to love him this year because I don't expect them to see a whole lot of him this year or um, maybe a ton next year. But he, he quote was, our fans are going to love him because he brings a lot of energy. He's a player that shoots the ball extremely well. He can, can he get in there amongst the big guys? Uh, and, or he said he can get in there amongst the big guys, and that will be an adjustment. He'll have to learn how to get there. Okay, so he's saying, never mind, that was a misquote. So can he get in there amongst the big guys? That will be an adjustment. He'll have to learn how to get there. He does get it there, and he gets it there. He's going to have to work his way out of there when things aren't going the way you, you read it going in. So, that, again, that was the big concern we had, too, Gene, because of his height and size. You know, is he going to be able to battle amongst the, the big force, the big trees in the SEC down there? But early returns are looking good for Zachary Siegler. Obviously, again, this is early preseason. I'm not expecting Zachary to come in and, and play much at all this year, but that's good news for the future. And, again, his – his uh. He also, Rick Barnes said, his, his energy and the fact that he just plays mm-hmm. at a high level, it seems like he never gets tired. <laughs> so that's, again, that's the competition level. That's great for Tennessee because you didn't want to just hand the keys over to Kennedy Chandler and him not have, I wouldn't say any accountability, but him not have any pressure there. At least with this, you have pressure of saying, all right, we got Viscovi, who we know we can handle point guard duties if Kennedy can't go. But if, if Kennedy or somebody gets complacent, you got a kid right there who's not a tranquil, and he, he's more than happy to come take your minutes from you and, and play over you. So... Good news for that. I haven't seen as as much um, reports from the Lady Vols. I'm going to see if I can find some really quickly here before we move on. But I, I know for the Lady Vols, we talked about it finding some uh, some role, role players to step in, not just you know finding you know Ken Rayburn. I'll take the next step. Um, I've got her actually. Kelly Harper had immediate availability. I think actually earlier today. Um, yeah, as we're recording this, she had immediate availability on Tuesday. So I'm going to see if I can I can kind of find 
anything else that she talked about. But yeah, here we go. It's all about Alexis Dye, actually, uh, Jean. We talked about you know the transfer, uh, grad transfer came in, who you and I had very different opinions on, I think, on Alexis Dye. So here, here's a quote she had from her. Uh, she says, she's coming in, she practices hard, she's an unbelievable athlete, spreads the floor, is a great rebounder, and knocks down jump shots. She's going to have a big impact on our team. That was apparent from the first day she stepped on this campus with our team. She's fun to coach, and we're continuing to work with her skill set and are even seeing her improve this year, or wanting to see her improve this year as well. Uh, so I think that's interesting, too, that she talked about how she's going to have a big impact on our team. A lot of times, a lot of these media availabilities have a lot of coach speak. I don't know that Kelly Harper, in any of her interviews I've heard, has done a ton of coach speak. You know, Pat Summit didn't have a ton of coach speak either herself. I've not heard Kelly Harper have, she, you, know, she, you know, every coach does, but I, I, Kelly Harper, more more often than not, will just kind of shoot it straight, and she doesn't really, you know, dance around stuff and doesn't have a whole lot of kind of, you know, Josh Heupel is a good example of a guy who has a lot of coach speak and says a lot, but says nothing. You know, Tennessee's head football coach, and that's been a lot of Tennessee's head football coaches have been that way. But Kelly Harper will actually, you know, you, and Rick Barnes, too, to be fair, also will say things, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. That was a nice direct answer. Like, I appreciate that. Um, I think it's, I just think it's interesting to mention that Alexis is going to have a big impact on the team. That that stood out to me looking at the quotes here that, as I was scanning through some other ones, too, that um, I think that's, to me, saying that she's expecting her to start possibly or at least be the the sixth person off the bench six you know the sixth girl off the bench like i, I don't know like what exactly that's going to translate into but gene that sounds good to me if you're expecting your transfer to come in and have a big impact and obviously you, you would hope so taking a grad transfer they have a big impact but i think it's it, it means more coming from kelly harper who's seen her practice and has been with her over the summer to uh you know help her transition into the team yeah and um you know, I'll I'll be the first to admit that. I mean, if I'm if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, and um, you know, at this moment, like maybe I'm a little bit dug in on this, so I'm not quite willing to say it yet because I haven't seen him play yet. But I mean, I, like Da's resume, it was there was never any question about her her resume. I mean, she was Player of the Year in the in the Sun Belt. Uh, she was very productive, rebounding the ball, um, very productive scoring the ball, and uh, I said my only concern was the fact that you were talking about a person. I went back and looked up her stats. Uh, at her size, took one three pointer. Yeah, and, and to build off that here, this I went back and there's there's even more on Alexis Die. Uh, again, Kelly Harper mentioned that she loves coaching her. She said, "Ask I love coaching her, asking her for more because she'll find a way to give it to you. She's been a real joy. I think one of the biggest things we're working on with her now is developing her guard skills to a little bit higher level. She's basically played small forward the majority of her career. We want to give her a little more versatility. I think it speaks exactly to what you're talking about. She's not a she's not a she's not built like a she, she doesn't have the forward height in the women's game. She has a guard height, and if they're trying to develop that guard skill set more." That's intriguing to me because, like you said, she took one three-pointer. She played, as, as Kelly Harper said, she played forward the majority of her career. If she can develop more of a guard skill set, that's intriguing. That's yeah. interesting to me. I've got a, I've got a completely different conversation. If that, if she's a six-foot guard, mm-hmm. but like if she's a six-foot post player, then I don't really want to. I don't care, Kelly Harper. Like I'm not listening to the thought of pr- productivity there now because it's just because of who you're playing against. I know she had big games against big teams, but guess what? This is basketball. Somebody has to score points. Somebody has to grab rebounds. That's basketball. And if you don't have that many good enough, I mean, look, she was the best player on her team. She's the best player in that league. So of course she's going to have you know tremendously high usage. The balls they're trying, you know, she's going to go get the ball. And look, she's a go getter. So I, I don't mm-hmm. doubt. I don't doubt that. She is working on her game because you tell me a person who's six feet tall had twenty rebounds in a game. I'm telling you that's a person who's hungry. That's exactly what that's little. Sometimes you can look at little stats and it tells you a lot. Like the most obscure stat, it tells you everything. The fact that she averaged eleven rebounds in two years tells me she's a hungry player. And the fact that she was willing to go from being player of the year in in that in the Sun Belt, uh, I guess she's what a junior. I think she's a. I mean, I don't know. She's a graduate transfer, so I'm not sure if she's like a. Yeah, I see super two. senior or what. So, um, yeah, she played two years at Troy. 
So okay, she played a year. Okay, she played two seasons. This is her fifth year because she played okay. two years at Gulf Gulf Coast State, and then two years at Troy. So, um, like you, that's, that's a person that I wish was a junior because like her greatest growth would have come in this upcoming off season after the 2021 season um or i'm sorry what what years in 2021 <laughs> season i don't know anymore man. uh but you know because I, I think that that's a person who's hungry man like 20 rebounds in a game averaging 11 at six feet tall that screams of Hungry. I don't know what she's going to. I don't know what her production is going to be. If you told me she averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of like six points and five rebounds and maybe develops somewhat of a serviceable three point shooter, got it. Got it. Got it. I'll take. I'll, I mean, I'll take back everything I've said. But based off the evidence I've seen, it was. It's hard. That's what's led me to believe that it's hard for me to see her having just an immediate impact because. The evidence I've seen show, you know, decent dribbler, nice little mid-range game. Um, I mean, she shot 63% from the free throw line. Shot, I mean, improved her free throw from 54 to 74 one year, which means she seems like it seems as though she has a good shooting stroke. So she, if she can just consistently develop there, then Tennessee got a still. But from what I've seen can't go there yet and that's even reading going back and reading the quotes um, I hope she's special Tennessee needs that and somebody's got to replace Renaya Davis and if some and if Ray Burrell replaces Renaya Davis guess what somebody's got to replace Ray Burrell in some way shape or form not doesn't have to mirror the what 16 points a game she averaged last year but you know because you you feel as though you know some people feel as though they're a little bit deeper this year so you may not need the 16 that Ray gave you, but you're going to need to get something 12, 13, and maybe get somebody else that averaged six to go up to to maybe nine or ten. Um, like if it, the more options you have, the better you are. Tennessee is young. Tennessee's women's team is young this year. The, uh, they've got some, you know, they've got some nice freshmen and sophomores that have come in. Um, you know, I, I personally think that Kelly Harper has recruited very well mm-hmm. in her time. I, I really do. Uh, even, you know, like the first class, regardless of how people want to look at it, you know, if it was Hollies or not, that first class gave you Jordan Horston um, and it gave you Tamari Key. Her next class, you know, her second class got her Jordan Walker. Um, got her the the post player. Uh from Liberty, uh, Green. Yep, yep. Who's still on the team this year? Yeah, uh, get, mm-hmm. get those players, and this you've got this you know this class now that people are really high on, um, and so, and like I think we've talked about this before, but now you're starting to build a team completely in your image. Yes. And if you can steal a player from the grad transfer market here, grab another one there. If Da's the person you steal this year. I mean, you can't just always just go out and find a player of the year in another league to just come to your school because, look, man, athletes have pride. And it's like you're going to – and regardless, if I'm 300% wrong and Alexis dies everything she was at uh, production-wise at Troy, it still was a lot for her to say – Oh, you want me to go from being Sunbelt Player of the Year to what? Maybe a starter? That speaks to like that hunger that she has. You know, like she maybe she probably fancies herself as a potential WNBA player. Or certainly a player who can make a lot of money um playing overseas, which is what a lot of women's basketball players do because of the pay discrepancy, which is ridiculous. But um you know, like if she's given herself every opportunity to be a great player, she's got it. You know, it sounds like you, you certainly have a great recruiting staff. Uh, Kelly and John, who are the pretty much the base, you know, the base group of coaches, um, they've shown to be good developers. So, like, if they could come in and develop her into just a halfway decent shooter, 
then like I said at the beginning, Tennessee got themselves a still. It, it's that simple. Uh, there's mm-hmm. other issues to address. Me, I, personally, I think some post-depth kind of need some of that. Uh, but, I mean, if you can if you can replace some of the Renaya Ray scoring and Ray and, like, Alexis or whoever it is becomes a, a solid duo or somebody else, you know, Ray, Alexis, and... Uh, uh, what's the girl's name? The the other transfer they got last year, Jordan Walker. That becomes some sort of, you know, three way pairing. Then now all of a sudden, you you can develop some of those younger players slowly, and you don't immediately need them to go. I mean, I, the Pucka girl, I believe, is going to be a good player. Yep, That's some stuff I think about so too. Well, um, you know, I sound like she's going to be a good player, and, and giving giving her a chance to go out there. And, immediately contribute will be really really good but now you can bring her along a little bit slower and she can just kind of maybe get in there for like 10 to 12 to 15 minutes at a time because you don't want some of these highly rated prospects to come in and not experience it's like any other sport you want to experience success as early as possible and uh you know having some of these upperclassmen come in and kind of take on leadership roles gives you every chance to let these lower these uh, underclassmen and freshmen and sophomores develop at the pace at the rate that they need to well to stick with that talk that you mentioned recruiting and also post depth for the lady balls we'll, we'll stick with that and go to some recruiting notes here have some for both lady balls and the men's team we'll stick with the lady balls for now since we're already on that topic this weekend lady balls are having a a visit a pretty big time visit this weekend kyla oldacre from the 22 class is coming in for a visit to see Tennessee. She's previously visited NC State, Florida State, and Miami. Uh, she is up in Ohio, from up in Ohio, excuse me. She's the number 25 overall player on ESPN. She's a six foot five post player, Gene. So talking about filling that post depth, she's not too much shorter. They basically are on the same size as uh, Tamari Key. She's built to be similar. Looking at pictures and what she plays, she's built a little similarly to what I, I saw Cassie. Because uh, Kinawa last year, you know, the last couple of years, how she's built, I think a little bit more athletic than what Cassie is, but still a a, a big post player, six foot five, from Ohio. Again, taking her fourth of five official visits to come see the Lady Vols this weekend, and it also seems kind of like it, it might be, she might be Tennessee's last really legit shot at landing a big time post player in this 22 class that has you know, has legitimate interest in the Lay Vols because Stanford, UConn, and Oregon State have all got commitments from, I think, the elite post players up there right now. Uh, you also have, I think, Tennessee's offered a couple other ones, but they don't, you know, don't have them in their final listing of, of teams. So really, it's kind of Kyla Oldacre, and I don't think a whole, whole lot of other options in the post right now for Tennessee in this, this class. So and if they don't get her in this 22 cycle, you may be looking again into the transfer portal for another you know, grad transfer or you know, two or three year transfer or whatever. But we talked about getting talk about getting some post depth, Gene. If she comes in and Tennessee does land Kyla Oldacre at some point, you know, she, this is a big visit. But if she does come in and Tennessee gets her, um, that's a player who comes in as a six five player, six five freshman who will be here as a freshman for Tamari Key's uh, senior season. So that would be a huge uh, thing for Tennessee to have her come in and be able to develop and have that kind of post presence learn from Tamari and then once Tamari is gone you would like for her to be able to kind of come in and take over and you know be that same kind of spot that Tamari Key was so this is huge for multitudes of reasons she's six foot five so that's legitimately like literally huge and also big because this looks like Tennessee's maybe kind of last shot at landing a you know quote-unquote premier post player in the 22 cycle so you're talking about post depth I think that could go a long way you know not addressing it this year but go a long way to kind of addressing it in the future for the Lady Balls. Well, one one thing we can't forget about um, about Key is like well, with all these players, really, is I know different schools who do it are treating this differently, but she's only played two years, and last year didn't count, so she could just be a sophomore on the, on, on the court. True. Um, I mean, no nobody really. There's no uniform way for these universities to do it. I think Tennessee they appear to just you know have just added the year to every single person on the roster. Um, I, I know other schools, they've kind of just gone with 
whatever the kid said, like if the kid said that they were taking the year, then they would be a sophomore. Um, or if they're not taking the year, they could be a or whatever they were. Um, so getting, uh, you know, key having, you know, key doesn't give you a ton offensively, but man, she is so good defensively. She's so long defensively. And if you now, if you can bring in this, uh, this the Kyla Odaker, um, who I'm reading, low pros prospect, brings imposing size, shot blocking presence to the front court, rebounds and initiates the fast break, offers emerging back to basket game skills, superb mobility and up tempo game potential. Uh, if you're able to bring that sort of person of uh, player in, and she can develop, working every it's the competition stuff we talked about. You, you bring another player in. To go every go up every day uh, against a, a Tamari Key, that's you know Tamari Key can you know she now has somebody six 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 five six six who can really push her every single day at practice. Um, yeah, and you need that like to become the best version of yourself. You need somebody who's your size that you can kind of work on certain post moves. It's not the same if. You know, like if you know, Nathaniel, I'm I'm six five, and you're what like six six one. Oh, Gene, I'm, I'm like five nine, man. Oh, <laughs> you can tell we haven't seen each other in person in a long time. It's been a while, <laughs> but yeah, like imagine <laughs> us. Uh, imagine me work on my post moves, like with you guarding me. It's not the same. Is you know, or if we want to, you know, since we're a Tennessee podcast, make this more Tennessee uh, specific. Imagine Jalen Johnson trying to check Kyle Alexander in the post. <laughs> you know, uh, imagine Huntley Hatfield being guarded by Kennedy Chandler. Now, those are extremes. I'm obviously just joking there, but um, to go have somebody who's about your size and is as mobile as you, uh, that can only serve to help both parties. The training that you two can do together. Um, because Key's gonna have another year to improve that offensive game, like this year before before whatever happens with uh, with half half acre, old acre, sorry, old acre, yeah, yeah, with with old with old acre, um, before you ever figure out what she's gonna be, um, you've got another year to go up against the sort of competition uh, every day in practice that can push you to make you better, and you can figure some stuff out, and now. As a junior or a senior, whatever class you are, next in twenty the twenty two twenty three season, now you bring in a freshman who can push you more, and you can figure out some use some of those tricks of the trade that you've learned. Now she's learning, and so that now now Kelly has developed a program. She's built a program, and I think more than anything else, with her past at this school, she wants nothing more than to build. A program, not just have a couple good teams. She wants to be a winning program that's competing for national championships because, to her, that's the standard. Yep, and I think that was another thing she kind of mentioned in the uh, her uh, media availability on Tuesday, talking about. I mean, she knows what the standard is for Laval. She's won national titles here, so like as a player, so she knows what that's like. And like you said, I don't think she wants to just build a few a few good teams. Wants to build a program that wins consistently and gets back to what. You know, Laval's were doing where they were, you know, consistently getting to not just the Elite Eight, but getting to the Final Four and they're consistently being title threats year in and year out. Moving along to the men's side here before we close out the podcast, um, not a, I guess, a ton of movement for Tennessee necessarily, but you have some guys making announcements next week. Jet Howard announcing, I assume, to Michigan in the 2022 class. That's where his dad coaches, so I assume to Michigan. Uh, I believe Julian Phillips, who Tennessee had hosted in, on a visit and was recruiting. He's announcing, I believe, this Friday. It doesn't look like it's going to be Tennessee. It looks like, I would guess, maybe FSU, Florida State. But that brings me to my next point here. If it is Florida State, I think Tennessee feels much, much better about landing potentially their only five-star in the 22 class, but still a five-star nonetheless. And Dylan Mitchell, five-star, plays for Montverde Academy down in, in Florida. Um, Florida State just got a commitment 
a couple days ago from Deontay Green, a four-star uh, forward who is built somewhat similar, similarly excuse me, to Dylan Mitchell. They also already have Cameron Corrin, who is a four-star listed as a center. He's probably more of a forward. Um, we got a commitment from him back in September. And they also have a commitment from a, a small forward as well. So it seems like, especially if they do land Julian Phillips, it seems like you know FSU is done there on that that kind of spot and Dylan Mitchell I believe was down to yeah Tennessee Texas and Florida State I want to say are the the teams that he was down to um he officially visited Texas or actually excuse me he's going to officially visit Texas here sometime soon he visited Tennessee back in the summer visited uh Ohio State FSU and I want to say one other school maybe not maybe not um but he, he visited OSU Tennessee, then FSU, and now he's going to visit Texas. But it seems like Tennessee, the 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 I guess the media seems pretty, I wouldn't say like convinced. But there, there's a lot of rumblings that you know it's leaning towards Tennessee. There was a uh, when was this put in? Oh, this was back in June. I'm not going to mention that one, but I was going to say the crystal ball, but it was it was an old crystal ball. Anyway, it seems like Dylan Mitchell could be a guy that Tennessee ends up landing in this class at some point. Gene, I don't think he has a decision date set or anything like that. But with t- looking like we talked before, Tennessee kind of missing on a few of their other guys, it would be nice for Tennessee to land a, a five-star in this class, even if it's a guy like Dylan Mitchell, who's a he's a borderline five-star. He's a guy who I wouldn't expect to come in and be a one-and-done type of player. He's not. He's more in that kind of five-star range of where Josiah Jordan James ended up. So I would expect Dylan Mitchell to come in and be more akin to what a Josiah Jordan James is, a, a two-, three-year guy. He's listed as 6'7", 180. Um... Would like to see that weight go up a little bit, but even if it doesn't, that's kind of like a what was JP Prince? I can't remember how big he was, but he's around that that kind of height and, and weight and stuff. But regardless, he's an intriguing prospect to me, and I think he's a guy that Tennessee has a very good shot at landing. But Gene, that's that goes along to if Tennessee does end up landing him in this class, that doesn't really address, I think, still a need for Tennessee in this class of there being a. I think Tennessee needs a big man. They don't have too many big men left on their board as far as like actual legitimate, like, you know, fours and fives. Cause uh, I think technically Dylan Mitchell is listed as a power forward on recruiting services, but he's going to be a small forward in college. Like I, I don't, I'd be shocked if he played the four ever in, in college. He's more to me. He's more of a two. I mean, he could maybe play the four in a pinch, but I think he's more of a two, like a, a three and an oversized two. But Tennessee, Ernest Day Jr. is kind of the only other one I could I could think of because, again, it looks like Hayson Wallace, who we've talked about at length here. Um, I think he's going to go Kentucky. I think Dylan Mitchell, Tennessee, has a really good chance. Also, that's, that's another one I want to bring up, Gene. Chandler Jackson out of Memphis is a guy that Tennessee's wanted to get on a visit. I think they're working towards getting him on a visit soon. I want to say it's sometime this month. I don't remember when exactly, but sometime fairly soon um, they're wanting to get Chandler Jackson in on a visit. That's a guy Tennessee – offered somewhat recently and it seemed like people were you know speculating oh they offer him because they're missing out on case and wallace there might be some truth to that too but also the staff got to see him play over the summer and actually you know got to see him in person were seemed but reports were very impressed with what they saw in person and ended up offering him and they talked with him and spoke with him and asked him is it too late to get into your recruitment and too late to get you on a visit and he said no so he's also apparently pretty open to hearing Tennessee and, and visiting Tennessee. He plays over Christian Brothers in Memphis. He's a guy who is rated higher on two or seven than he is rivals. Two or seven has him as the 56th overall player, number two player in Tennessee. Uh, then the two four seven composite has him as, as 117 overall. So pretty big discrepancy there. But he's a guy that I think has risen in recruiting rankings and is a guy that uh, Tennessee obviously is, you know, their opinion of him has grown too. So two notes there. I, I think Tennessee is feeling good about where they are with Dylan Mitchell. Don't know when he you know, would be announcing a commitment or anything like that. And to me, Gene, Chandler Jackson is going to be an interesting one to watch. You know, Does he end up coming to visit Tennessee? If he does, are the Vols legit players there? Is that Does that kind of, you know, what does that do there? He got an offer on his official visit um, to Virginia Tech in September. He's got offers from, I don't know how legit some of these are, you know, or how interested the schools are, but he's got offers from Kansas, Auburn, Florida State, Ole Miss, Memphis. So he's got offers from some pretty good schools there. Alabama, Virginia Virginia Tech as well. So that's an interesting kind of development too. Tennessee offered him at the end of September. So he's holding on, He's had an offer from Tennessee for about a week at this point. It's always cool to see Tennessee go get guys from Memphis. They got Kenny Chandler. I, I don't know that they end up getting Chandler Jackson. He's a combo guard. He 
plays kind of that same role again, like I said, like Kaysen Wallace does. Even if even if he's a a guy that Tennessee does land and he's a quote unquote kind of consolation prize for a, a Kaysen Wallace, I think Chandler. Or I think Chandler Jackson's got some game. I think he's a to me he's a very interesting prospect in this twenty two class. So I'm I'm over here laughing because I saw it. Yeah, rail. Well, it's because. I've railed against what I call paper offers uh-huh. that aren't real. They don't mean anything. I know of one particular AAU program that is very big on paper offers, but um, I'm laughing because I've heard of Chandler Jackson and haven't hadn't had never got a chance to really see him play, but definitely heard of him. So. So let me look at his twenty four seven timeline. Uh, obviously, I know he's had a he had a big summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went I scroll. I'm like, okay, he's got thirteen entries. His very first entry, May twenty second, twenty twenty, offer, Tennessee Volunteers. So <laughs> September twenty ninth, twenty twenty one, offer, Tennessee Volunteers. So it's yeah, I right. laugh at it, uh, just because it's it's the validity of some of these things that, that are out there, but that doesn't take anything away. I, I just that's just something that I just rail against. It bugs me because I, I see it. Um, and but like it's interesting. I'm looking at Chandler Jackson and then I look at Dylan Mitchell. And like you, I kind of cringed when I saw his Dylan Mitchell's size. And then I went back two years. Now, this is not to compare the players, but Devontae Gaines was 6'7", 178 pounds when he signed with Tennessee. Dylan Mitchell, according to his 24-7 page, is 6'7", 180. Um, Now... (laughs) Mitchell, I believe, is a considerably better player. <laughs> and it's also worth noting on Rivals, I don't, I don't know which one's more accurate. But Rivals has him as six eight two hundred, so that's okay. that's twenty more pounds. So okay. it depends on which one's more accurate. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I mean, like, there's no consensus. Um, that, that's right. that's pretty obvious. But uh, and then I looked over at Chandler Jackson, who's six four two zero five. So I'm like, maybe if you give Dylan Mitchell, like, I think <laughs> Dylan Mitchell and Chandler Jackson had flipped weights. I think you feel almost even better about both of them. Uh, yeah. But 6'4", 205 is a big kid, man. Like, that's a big kid for basketball. Um, but, you know, both, you know, both quality players. You throw Julian Phillips in there, throw Jet Howard, just because those are the four names you've really mentioned. Um, you know, Mitchell, Mitchell and Jackson, I think Mitchell is your kind of your, your focus right now um gives you a small forward a talented player i think he you just settle him in at small forward you don't try to suggest that he, he he's anything else i don't i mean maybe if if he's going to play another position he's going he's still in the perimeter like if he's not you know small forward he's a shooting guard i don't know what his ball skills are like but he ain't going inside <laughs> like you can I mean, you can give him three square meals a day. Like, I'm not saying that's an issue now, but you can give that kid three square meals a day. And at the end of the day, he's going to be 215. If Rivals is right, he's like 200 now, maybe he gets to 210, 215. But, like, seeing his body type, it ain't going to take a ton of weight. So, like, that kid is not going to have the body to build or the height to be a quote-unquote post player. So if somebody had him listed as a post player, they're lying. They are flat-out lying. Um, but obviously, talented player, top 30 player in the country. Um, you know, seems like he has a, a nice skill set. I've got to dig into him more to really make more of a, a, a better, deeper, bigger assessment of him. But you're talking about a kid who... You know, kind of keeps your, you know, kind of keeps your ball rolling. You know, Tennessee's got this little thing going on with five stars, and um, again, the fans like, you know, pointing to all the star rankings, and 
he kind of he would be what the fourth consecutive recruiting class where you had at least one Josiah, uh, yeah, and then obviously the Keon Jaden, and then this class right here, the twenty one class, uh, four straight years of having at least one. Hey, that's a win, and mm-hmm. and if not. I certainly don't think Tennessee is going to have a problem, especially if they have a good year this year, which is what I expect them to have on the court. I don't think they're going to have a problem getting, you know, somebody at the end of the day to fill that void. Because this time last year, um, well, heck, this, forget last year, this time in March, Tennessee had Kennedy Chandler and what, Meshack. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, by the time reclassifications and coaching changes and all the turmoil, transfer portal, I mean, that's once all that stuff is done, you may not have even seen, heck, you know, you may not have even seen the start of it all yet. You, you may not have a clue what this class is going to look like. This Now, the early going, the returns haven't been amazing because Tennessee doesn't have 15 people committed to their team. But, um, like this, one of those things where I think that Barnes at this point has earned the benefit of the doubt in recruiting because he's gotten some victories in recruiting. He's he's brought some guys in um, to where at least you know people have reason to be excited if and when the football program doesn't live up to the fans' expectations. Um, quick football note: I think. Tennessee has a good football team this year. Uh, Interesting. I, I do. I, look, I don't. When I say good, I mean that team's going to compete for 13 games. Remind so, me when we finish recording this, Gene. I want to talk to you about UTC in Kentucky. So remind me to bring that up when we finish recording this. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> uh, to, to go back to Chandler Jackson really quickly before we close out, a, a shout out to the uh, the Vol Nation boards out there the free Tennessee fan board the basketball the basketball form over there so I saw someone compare to him and say that they reminded of the way he's the way Channel Jackson's built kind of like how Ramar Smith was but hopefully has a little bit better head on his shoulders than Ramar and also I, I think he's a better shooter than what Ramar was too but Ramar was a highly rated kid coming out of high school um, for Tennessee didn't pan out at Tennessee but hey it, it happens but I, I, I do think they're right though we, I think Ramar was like what 6'2 200 205 something like that um, yeah, he was come up high school. Big. Yeah, so I think I mean that's that's nice. That's got a really nice physicality there for that kind of one-two guard spot. So that'd be uh, if, if he's a better shooter than where Mar was too. That'd be also nice. So anyway, I just want to throw out there and give a shout out to the uh, the Vol Nation board for that one because I, I was like interesting and I looked up Ramar's height and everything and his size. Like yeah, it's actually not a bad comparison from, from that perspective. So anyway, I'm gonna close up the podcast here. We really appreciate all of you tuning in for this episode, tuning in for previous episodes. If you have missed the uh, roster review episodes for both the men's and women's basketball teams, those are the previous two episodes to this one. So go back and check it out. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast if you can. Please, we would appreciate it a ton. You can subscribe to us there as well. If you don't have an iPhone or anything like that, subscribe to us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We would really, really appreciate it. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 